Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I recently watched a movie about an ordinary, average, everyday guy who finds an insect-related suit of some kind that gives him superpowers and is forced to team up with the daughter of a larger-than-life figure to stop an evil force that threatens to overtake their company eventually the world. But enough about Ant-Man, folks. Woo! <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. We've got Blue Beetle. We've got Ant-Man. We've got Spider-Man. I'd like to introduce the other, the next superhero, Trilobite. He just sits there. <laughs> At the bottom of the ocean. That's all he does. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. And here I thought this movie was a first-person account of a groupie on the Magical Mystery Tour. Wow. Oh that my was a thinker. God. Oh That's my a thinker. God. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Can't believe you said that, Jeff. Those are, of course, it's all... a thinker, Dave. <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast... We're going to be reviewing Blue Beetle, the new film from the DC University, penultimate film of the old regime. And it did not do very well at the box office. It's one of the worst opening DC Universe films of all time, other than Wonder Woman 1984, uh, which came out during the pandemic. The question for us today that we'll discuss is, did it deserve that performance? So stay tuned. Uh, we'll the... be discussing it. Yep. I can't. Recall what, what's the ultimate? If this is the penultimate. What's the ultimate? Uh, Aquaman. Aquaman. Oh right, still that's still mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Aquaman still. Ha I mean, we assume so. We assume so. So, anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail .com. Find us on Instagram and Threads, uh, as well as Twitter at thefilmcastpod on YouTube as well at thefilmcastpod. We're uploading new videos every single week. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you could follow us on all those platforms. And of course, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can get ad free episodes and exclusive after dark episodes. Today, we've got some of what we've been watching before we get to our review of Blue Beetle. But before that, I wanted to mention a couple of quick physical media updates over on the Filmcast after dark. We spoke a while ago about how WandaVision was getting a seemingly fake physical media release that only came with a digital code. Uh, that is no longer true. Uh, it turns out that uh, we are going to get some physical media releases for some of these Disney properties, specifically WandaVision, Loki, and The Mandalorian are all getting 4K HD and Blu-ray steelbooks. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there, kind of a mini update. But I don't know if, you know, Devendra, I don't know if any of those shows rises to the level where you'd want to collect one of them. Jeff, I know you you try to stay away from physical media these days. I, I do Miss Marvel. I really like Miss Marvel. I would love to own that. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is I've been on a Jackie Chan kick lately, as you guys are so aware. To speak. So to speak. And I was incredibly excited. Uh, I, I get uh, emails pretty regularly from uh, one of the PR companies that does PR for the Criterion Collection. And so every month they email in their new releases. Constant emails to Dave, like... Please stop pestering us. Enough with the emails. Okay, we heard you. <laughs> for the last time, we're not going to give you any of these for free, which is actually true. <laughs> they, I have tried, and they never give me any discs for free. But that's okay, because uh, I'm going to spend hundreds of dollars on this disc, Jackie Chan, Emergence of a Superstar. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is a disc of Jackie Chan's first few films, uh, 2K digital restorations of Spiritual Kung Fu, The Fearless Hyena, Fearless Hyena 2, The Young Master, 
and My Lucky Stars, as well as a high-definition digital restoration of Half a Loaf of Kung Fu. Uh, these are some early films. I, I don't think I've actually seen most of these. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, one of the reasons is because it's been hard to access them in a good form, <laughs> in a good format. Uh, so I am super excited about the fact that this is coming out. Pretty uh, incredible. I believe... Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. What are you I say it's pretty incredible. This is happening. I think it's amazing. And do you do you have any sense of why it's a 2K restoration? Is that is there a limit on what they can yeah, do? With I this guess it's just footage? what's available to them. You know, yeah, uh, it, does, guess, it but... doesn't help. You could do 4K, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, because the yeah. source is so bad. Yeah, yeah. but uh, that will come out in November of 2023. And uh, thanks, a bunch of people DM me about this as well, including Jeff Kanata. And yeah, I got really excited about it. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're a fan of Jackie Chan, uh, and his work, then this is a way to be able to access some of the early work, uh, in the best format possible or one of the best formats possible, which is via the Criterion Collection. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably be talking about it when it comes out in the next few months. Anyway, just a couple of quick physical media updates to share with you folks. All right, let's get to what we've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, you watched the movie this week that was almost going to be a main review at some point before it got unceremoniously pushed to later this summer. And I have a feeling if they knew how things, if the studios knew how things were going to play out, I don't think they would have pushed it. I'm just going to put that out. (laughs) You think? Yeah. Um, But yeah, tell us about this film that you watched. I'm very curious what you thought. Yeah, I got a chance to go see Strays, the R-rated, what is it, a dog comedy? I guess mm-hmm. a dog comedy. It's the, it's talking dogs, but they're voiced by Jamie Foxx and Will Ferrell uh, and others. And uh, this is, I think, a, a very clever idea of taking uh, a trope, a, a subgenre that we're all familiar with, the uh, adorable live action animal uh, that is made to talk human talk. Uh, which is usually a rated G heartwarming family comedy uh, where, you know, the animals inevitably have to find their way back home or reunite with their human masters or whatever it is uh, and turn that on its head and do it as a hard R raunchy uh, comedy with, with, you know, with these very recognizable uh, comedic actors. I think that's a brilliant idea funny idea that we've seen uh, a number of this type of thing where you do the, the thing that's supposed to be a kid's movie, but we do it as a big adult movie. Uh, I recall the, uh, was the Seth Rogen did the thing about the hot dogs, the animated hot dogs, mm-hmm. right? Sausage, Sausage party. party. Sausage yeah. party. Yeah. That's fun. There's been a number of these kinds of things where you take something and, and, and just do it, uh, you know, do it with an R rating. Yeah. And, um, it certainly earns its R rating. I was ultimately pretty disappointed with Strays. I think it is not as funny as it thinks it is. And ultimately, it's still the movie. It's still the Homeward Bound movie. Uh, it's very funny that it it, <laughs> it wants to kind of be subversive and, uh, and, and throw that trope on its head. But it it doesn't really. It still does the trope. It does the trope in a goofy way. It does the trope in a, you know, uh, minor, minor, minor spoilers for the very beginning of the movie. But uh, Will Forte, who is one of my favorite comic actors, plays a human being in the movie. And he plays the owner of Will Ferrell's uh, dog. 
and uh, he's a terrible owner, right? So the the conceit here is the the funny throwing it on his head thing is Will Ferrell wants to get back home to his owner, but his owner is a terrible person <laughs> and doesn't want the dog, like literally doesn't want the dog. So that is the big, ah, look, in, in most movies, it's the little kid who just wishes, can't find the dog, and oh my gosh, they have to be reunited. In this movie, the dog wants to be, it is in that movie, wants to be reunited, but the owner just wants to get rid of the dog because he hates the dog because he's a, is a bad person. And that's okay, fine, but that's not particularly clever. And I think this movie isn't particularly clever. I think it is exactly what you think it is. It is exactly what you think it is. Every joke that you think an adult with an R rating would make about a dog <laughs> is made in this movie, right? Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, it's a little more scatological than I would want in any medium. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, it's, it really, I, I kept waiting for it to be smarter than it is. And I got to admit, there's plenty of joy in just hearing Jamie Foxx and Will Ferrell interact with each other. Uh, there's been a lot of media about how they did a lot of improvisation uh, in the recording sessions. And it's clear they were having a great time with each other and, and they have great chemistry. They're both brilliant comedic actors and there's, you know, there are moments of wonderful interaction between them. But man, I felt like this movie could have been so much more than it was. Mm -hmm. It could have been, it could have, they had the opportunity to take some real chances and go mm -hmm. to some really interesting places. And it kind of it never does. It just sticks to the formula that it is, you know ostensibly aping it's it's ostensibly like making fun of the formula but it is the formula right mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. actually doing anything transgressive or particularly interesting in my opinion it's it's literally still doing the formula and you know there are some there are some funny moments not enough funny moments for me i did not laugh out loud as much as i thought i would i was really excited about seeing strays i thought man this is such a clever idea i'm gonna have i'm gonna be you know hurting my sides, bending over laughing. Um, but uh, never never really felt that way for me. And, you know, comedy, of course, is very subjective, but uh, for me, it, it never really hit the highs I expected it to, and it felt very safe in, 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 the, in the cloak of a movie that is supposed to be very unsafe, you know? It was pretending to be an unsafe movie and mm -hmm. actually was pretty safe. Yeah, and I thought that was a That's missed right. opportunity, actually. Maybe best, there was a Red Band trailer that was going around. I felt like that gave you the whole movie. It seems like one of those movies that maybe, maybe should have just been the trailer or should have been like a short. Of it's, some a kind at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's sketch. Yeah, it's a sketch. And, I mean, and unfortunately, like I said, every single joke that you think adults would make about dogs like, is made. And the, there's nothing mm -hmm. unexpected. It's all very... It's all very obvious. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna make the peeping on things joke. We're mm -hmm. gonna make the pooping on things joke. We're gonna is make there the humping. a joke about humping a leg. Of course there is in the oh first five God. minutes, and it's played out over the. Whole... And then <laughs> one of the dogs has a bigger has bigger genitalia than the other dogs, and so that's a you know it's like it's every obvious yeah. thing. And I felt like man, the, the talent here, you know, I think they're like um, Lord Miller like involved too. Um, I, the talent here, I think it deserved to be a little more ambitious than it is. It just felt very, uh, here's what I will say in praise of this movie. Um, the, 
the hardest part, undoubtedly, you know, Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx and all the other actors got to go in a room and just be goofy for, you know, they get to, it's like the greatest job ever, right? Go, go into the recording studio and just be goofy. The hard part is somebody had to film a bunch of real dogs. You know, that's not an easy job to film real animals for hours on end, day after day, and get them to do the, exactly the thing you want to make the movie make any sense at all. And I gotta say, that artistry, the wrangling of the dogs, is incredible in this movie. It is, like, it is completely believable at all times that they are emoting in exactly the right ways. Now, obviously, lots of CG is used. There's lip syncing mm -hmm. that's happening with all the dogs. But just the, like the pure movement of the dogs, the way they, you know, there'd be scenes where they're walking side by side and like having a walk and talk conversation. It's like, you had to get dogs to do that. It's not easy, you know? And I'm sure there's a lot of digital trickery, but kudos to the filmmakers for pulling that off because uh, I've never really seen a, a version of this that does it any better. This is the, the best I've ever seen. And of course, we've gone farther in digital. Who knows how much digital stuff? Probably a lot. but. um you know, I was just very impressed with that thing because we've all grown up watching all those Disney movies and seeing, you know, put the peanut butter on the dog's tongue to get it to move its face, whatever. It, it, there's a lot of clunky versions of it. And this mm -hmm. was very well done. So kudos nice. for that. So people should go to Strays to see the animal training that's mm. on this. The, the brilliance yeah. of the animal training. Not a, not a lot of movies where you get to see that anymore. Not the for the Oscar humor. for animal work goes to... Fans. Not, not for the not for the uh, humor though. Uh, this movie made around eight and a half million dollars in its opening weekend. It's not doing very well. A lot of people have been commenting like, uh, I, "I wonder what this movie would have opened to if the writer strike and the actor strike wasn't going on, right? If there were late night shows, yeah, if, if you had Will like Ferrell and Seth Jamie Rogen, Fox out there, yeah, if they could yeah. go on and promote the show. Like, would that have done any better? Would the movie have done any better? We'll never know. But uh, the movie was originally supposed to come out in June, opposite Transformers. Uh, the latest one, yeah. Rise of the Beasts. And it got moved to August unceremoniously. And so now it's kind of just coming out without much fanfare whatsoever. So it's as if um, it has become a stray. All right. Yep. Strays. Let's, let's move on from that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, strays. Well played, Jeff. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Strays is a movie that Jeff Kanata has been watching, uh, and that is mo that movie is out in theaters right now. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, First Leaf. First Leaf is great. Why? Because I like wine. <laughs> My wife and I love wine. We love wine so much, we named our Wi-Fi Bottle of Wine. Yeah. And yeah, no, I guess you can steal my Wi-Fi. You come to my place, you'll know. My Wi-Fi is the one called Bottle of Wine. And I love First Leaf because they make it super easy to get personalized wine boxes delivered on my schedule. You get to choose the day your shipment comes so you can go out and have all your fun without stressing about missing a delivery. And when you get started with First Leaf, it's really slick. I did this. It's, it's, it's really cool. You answer some quick questions about your likes and dislikes on their website. My wife and I did it together. We're like, ooh, yeah, yeah, do I like rosé? Mm, yeah, I do sometimes like rosé. Do I like full-bodied? Do I like pinots? You know, it, it's fun. You get to have a good time. And then their expert team will select a customized assortment of world-class wines based on your preferences. I'm 
into this. And I love it because we had some friends over last weekend. I pulled out my first leaf wine selection. They were so impressed because I got these uh, fancy schmancy wines that you can't just get down at the old five and dime. I don't know. I don't think there's any such thing as five and dimes anymore, but you get my drift. These are personalized by wine experts sent right to me, right to my door. I just kick back. I enjoy the bottles. My friends think I'm cool. I'm a sommelier. I'm not. But, you know, they may think that because the wines are so cool. So make sure you've got great wine. When you want it, this season, you got to try First Leaf. Just head over to tryfirstleaf.com slash filmcast to sign up. You'll get your first six hand-curated bottles for just $44.95. That's amazing. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash filmcast. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T to get your first six bottles for under $8 a bottle. Tryfirstleaf.com slash filmcast. All right, now I want to tell people that uh, originally our plan was to, uh, we, we had a, a, a rough idea uh, that at some point on the show, we were going to cover Old Boy, the Park Chan-wook movie, either in an After Dark or as the main review. Um, we, but what I, wasn't clear to us at the time that that very incipient plan came together is that the theatrical re-release of Old Boy was only going to be for one weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, we were hoping it might be for a few weeks or whatever. Uh, that said, it will be coming out on video on demand, and so we will be exploring it then. But anyway. Old Boy, Park Chan-wook's masterpiece. It's a movie that uh, is now 20 years old. And for the longest time, the only way I could watch Old Boy was via a Tartan Extreme Blu-ray that I purchased decades ago. I either purchased it or Divindra gave it to me. I don't remember which one. One of those, but I also uh, had, I imported this movie via Yes Asia, you know, shortly after it, it came out in Korea. So, yeah. Yeah, so, we that that was the only way to be able to access this movie for a long time. But Neon, uh, which is obviously a very very well respected, well regarded company, I'm a big fan of a lot of the stuff they do. They finally stepped in and said, "Enough! This is not a way. This is not the way you handle a movie that is as influential as this one. Yeah. As one culturally of the best movies ever made, you know, as culturally important respect. as this one. This is not how you handle it. So they have uh, taken uh, U.S." Distribution rights for Old Boy. They purchased U.S. distribution rights for Old Boy. They gave it a limited theatrical re-release, a 4K remaster, and it's going to be out on home video soon. And Devendra and I had a chance to watch it in theaters this weekend. Uh, and so again, we, we'll talk about it very briefly right now. We're not going to go into spoilers or anything like that, uh, but we will be covering it more in depth at a later point here on the Filmcast. That said, Devendra Hardwar, I am so curious. Uh, what was your experience? Uh-huh. Rewatching this, uh, well, actually, maybe this is the first time you saw it in the theater. I don't know. This but, is the first time I saw it. I, it maybe had like an awards run originally, but mm -hmm. I was not near anywhere playing it uh, in 2003. I, um, I mean, how many yeah. times have you seen Old Boy prior to now the movie? Just oh, over ten times. I've seen I've, them, I've seen movie. Old Boy like yeah. four or five times. Okay, so I, like I've we, seen this movie a lot. I also introduce Old Boy to people often, so I probably was one who forced you to sit down and watch this at some point. I forget this how is that one of down. the first movies that Devendra and I ever bonded over. Mm -hmm. it, it, it it is. 
possible to say that maybe if Old Boy never happened, the film cast might never have existed. You know, that, that maybe, is a possibility. Th- this, like, this was into. This was well not. into. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not, but it's possible. But that's something yeah. I can say. <laughs> something I can, it certainly sounds interesting. <laughs> this was well into our college uh, friendship and also watching movies together. But it was certainly, it was definitely the most like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to show this thing to people and people are either going to be ready for it or not. And uh, it, it remains one of those movies. So my experience watching Old Boy, this is the first time I saw it in theaters. And I had a couple choices. I could have gone to a Regal Theater near me. And I thought, you know what? I'm always at the Regal. I'm always seeing that <laughs> opening thing with the people <laughs> quoting movie lines. And I don't, I'm sick of it. Uh, <laughs> this is Old Boy. So I decided to go to the Plaza Theater in Atlanta. It's my first time actually going there. It's a little um, indie art house theater. Um, and it's very, very small. Like I, I, I thought from the exterior and other things, like it would be a much bigger space, but, uh, no, it's a very cute theater. Um, I did not get to see it in the main room. It's one of those theaters where they have like one main big screen, yeah, yeah. uh, in the basement. And then upstairs there are much, much smaller screens. Um, so I love the space. I got to see it in a smaller screen upstairs. I have to say, thank God I'm a front row sitter because <laughs> the screen, just looking at it, like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say too much about my own home theater setup, but it did not seem that much bigger than what I have in my own basement. It was, a, it was not that very, it was not that big. So I sat right up front. Um, people always seem to be afraid to sit up front. And I enjoyed this thing. I have to say, um, first of all, it sounded like most of the crowd had never seen the movie before. So there's always that electric feeling of watching a very, you know, very controversial movie, a movie yeah, with, very, I, with scenes that are very memorable. I watched it at the yep. Sif Egyptian Cinema Theater, mm-hmm. uh, the Seattle International Film Festival, uh, and they did a show of hands. So they did a big intro. <laughs> like a, a Somebody got up there, did a big intro about it, and they said, how many people are watching this for the first time? And I would say a good half to two-thirds of people yeah. raised their hand, uh, which is A, exciting, Devendra, and B, yeah. incredibly depressing that this movie is so old that there's a whole generation of people that have never seen it before. There are adults. Know? There are grown adults <laughs> who can who are over 18 the, yeah, who, who have not yeah. who were born after this movie came out and was made, you know? Yeah. So It's very sad. Um well, I have to say. So, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies ever. If you if I were to, you know, put a top 3 or whatever, this would always be up there along with Crouching Tiger and you know, maybe some others. It's a rotating list for me. I love this movie watching it again, watching it with the crowd. I love that feeling of having new people experience something. Uh, it was great. It was fantastic. It was a tiny theater, but it was absolutely full. Mm. And people, there's a there's a scene involving teeth that I think is pretty memorable. There are lots of like big twists in this movie and just hearing people react out loud to it is mm. always fun. Yeah. This movie absolutely rules. It still continues to rule. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk more when we do a bigger review because there are, there are things. I used to think it was like a perfect film and now it's like, yeah, there are things that I wish were done better, especially yeah. when it comes to like the one central female character. Uh, but this is a great movie and this restoration, I've seen this movie so many times, like this restoration is uh, it's kind of mind blowing because there's so much color um, in the backgrounds, pretty much in every scene. Uh, this is a highly detailed movie. I think part time look every, every, every set he chooses, every, every like shot is always, um, just very, very interesting visually. And the, the colors just pop. The purples, especially. Purple is a very big color in this movie. It just kind of jumped off the screen. So I, I was just very glad to see like this movie get treated with some respect. I also own a French 4K Blu-ray of Old Boy, which does not look this good. 
So it's mm. 4K, but it's a little more muted, um, a little more rough. Um, I think they cleaned up enough of this movie where it still has the sort of like organic film edges, but uh, it just it looks fantastic. I can't wait for us to do a full conversation about this specifically. I cannot wait till we destroy Jeff Kanata with old play. <laughs> this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, I so I went with a friend and it's safe to say that they were significantly impacted by the movie. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I there, there were uh, there were tweets of people coming out of this movie. Yeah. A conversation overheard, perhaps not the best choice for a first date. Yes. Certainly not a good choice for a first date. First maybe. of all, Jeff, I'm actually glad you didn't see it in theaters because <laughs> uh, what? So here, here, let me describe the experience of seeing it in theaters. First, first of all, at SIF, they did a big introduction for it, which was mostly non-spoilery, but it's like, you know, save save the conversation for after the movie, in my opinion. Then Park Chan Wook does an introduction for the movie, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, did you get the introduction to? Demetra? I did not. I stayed oh, until oh. after the credits. There was no intro and no post. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we got an intro where Park Chan-wook is, is, is sort of warns people about elements that will be in the film, which I know Jeff Kanata would have hated. And then the movie happens. And then there is a 13 minute conversation between Nicholas Winding Refn and Park Chan-wook that is actually pretty enjoyable. Uh, that that plays after the that played after the movie. I they assume definitely feel like be... simpatico as filmmakers. So yeah, totally, that totally. must be great. Uh, and I assume that will be part of the home video release. Um, so anyway, uh, that that was my experience watching it. And the theater was when I got there, there was almost no one there. Uh, but then by the time the movie began, it was like pretty pretty close to packed. That's great. Uh, so that, that was that, that was is awesome. great. Yeah. Like if I if I went to that Regal, it would have been a giant theater, a giant screen. I was going to be the only one there. Mm. So it was very nice to be mm. in a much smaller room filled with people eager to see this movie and people like being really into it. So that is, yeah. it was a great cinematic experience here. Old boy made $880,000 this weekend at uh, 250 venues. We, Devinder, we contributed about $20, $30 to that yeah. $880,000. So uh, everything Devinder says is correct. The one thing I want to call out is this is a brand new translation of mm-hmm. the subtitles for old boy. And in my opinion, it is uh, excellent. It, it, it is far better than any translation I've ever seen before. And there was so many moments in the original old boy where there's a translation of a moment that's like, oh, that, that sounds mm-hmm. weird. Or I don't quite get that. Or that feels right, a little right. awkward to me. That is completely fixed in this version of the movie. And it really made me, A, appreciate the good work that neon had done with this version. Like mm-hmm. they've really done honor to this film. And the second thing is, um, it just really reinforced for me how important a translation is for a foreign film. Like it can yeah. really reshape. Like it, it honestly felt like watching this movie for the first time was huh. like that. That's how much better the translation was for me. In my opinion, uh, there were s- multiple moments where like things just locked together narratively mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm. way that I'd never really experienced before with the original translation that I had seen. So I am so excited for this movie to be re- released on home video. You can already pre-order it now uh, and for people to be able to see it because this this is the best way to experience it is yeah. with this translation, with this remaster, uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna be great when it when it comes out and more people can access it. So. Still a great freaking movie. Also, I had in my mind. I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but Richard Brody. People were talking about this. Richard Brody had given a glowing review to the Spike Lee remake, 
and oh, yeah, in which he also this. put down. Oh yeah, this he said the Spike Lee remake was better than this one. I'm yeah, still so I, I'm still so mad about that. <laughs> um, so watching this, I'm like, fuck you, Richard Brody. Come on, <laughs> hey this man, is, this is the, a masterpiece. The man, the man has his opinions. You know, like he's he, he does. Everyone's, everyone's he, he writes have, for the New Yorker. Who am yeah. I? Everyone's Nobody. allowed to have their opinion on is, uh, on things. You and I may vehemently disagree, but I don't think he's just doing it just to troll us. I think he actually. No, I, likes I don't. Him. It's more yeah. like man. But yes. I, I don't see because I have seen both of these movies <laughs> yes. and I do not see how that is possible. But I, okay. I, I literally I've seen and I, I think I've, I've written about the Spike Lee 2013 old boy remake. Mm -hmm. And it is really difficult to remember anything about that film. Like I remember I, I remember Josh Brolin on a bicycle pedaling furiously <laughs> to, to, to some situation. It just yeah. looks so I ridiculous. Remember, yeah. I remember I had to rewatch the trailer to remember like who's in that movie and what's that movie? <laughs> you know, like but anyway, Park Chan Wook's old boy. Again, it yes. was out in theaters this last weekend. It will be on home video soon. We'll do a full conversation about it later at some point. Uh, but it is an extraordinary movie, and I'm just so grateful to neon for treating this movie with the care and love that it deserves so uh that is something that davindra hardwar and i've been watching this week and uh just a little that's a little kind of consider that a tease for our upcoming spoiler filled conversation about the film so uh okay i'll mention something i watched this week uh i had a chance to see to live and die in la the passing of william friedkin has really uh forced me to try to reconsider his work or to consider some of his work for the first time. And I heard a lot of great things about to live and die in LA. Have any of you seen this movie? Uh, I think I have long ago. I just, I just bought it, Dave. I just bought the 4k blue. So I cannot wait. This movie came out in 1985. Uh, I got the 4k Blu-ray as well. I think from like deep discount DVD. Uh, and uh, some people are saying this is one of his best movies. Uh, I'll be, I'll be very light on the details of Cause I know you're about to watch it, but, uh, it's about William Peterson, who plays a Secret Service agent, and he's trying to catch a criminal. That's basically the whole movie. William Peterson spent a lot of the '80s trying to catch criminals. This guy. I, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go out there and say, I don't think William Peterson's work in the '80s is very good. Okay, <laughs> I've seen. We've seen Manhunter. Yeah, like, I've yeah. seen this movie. He's not the best part of Manhunter. He's Hunter. not the best yeah. part of those movies. And yeah. the fact that he got to appear in a William Friedkin movie and a Michael Mann movie as the lead actor is extraordinary. And now no hate to William Peterson's work on like CSI. I thought he's great in that, you know, but like, I don't think he's what these films particularly really needed to live and die in LA. I'm, I'll just say a couple quick things about it. Number one, it's not my favorite freaking, you know, I think a lot of people are like, this is freaking's best movie. It's not my favorite freaking. It basically shows the uh, ugly underbelly of Los Angeles. It's kind of like in, in the eighties, it's like when you think of what LA, the ugly side must've been in the eighties, this movie does a really good job at portraying that. Um, there's basically no characters to root for in this. Like everyone's a piece of shit in this movie. Uh, and for the first two thirds of this movie, I thought, you know, I'm not sure I'm really into this. You know, I don't really like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't, I don't really know if I like this movie. And then the last third really pulls the whole thing together. There is a set piece in the final third that is one of the best scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. That I was just like, the movie roars to life. And I was like, this is incredible. I understand why people revere this movie now. And really the final part of the movie kind of helped me get to a good place on it. So uh, ultimately I'm a fan of this. I think it's just like a really interesting piece of work. You got 
Willem Dafoe at the top of his game in this movie. You got William Friedkin uh, at his most stylish and bold in this movie. Uh, so I, I like it. I, I would recommend it. It's not one of my favorite movies of all time. I definitely think it's worth watching, Divindra. I'll be very mm-hmm. curious to hear what you think about it. So. I'm looking forward to it. I wanted to pair it with the Streets of Fire, which also has Willem Dafoe in a fun, fun villain role. Mm, so, yeah. Nice, yeah. But unfortunately, uh, To Live and Die in L.A., not available easily on streaming right now. You buy, cannot Buy the damn disc. You people. cannot buy it. You cannot stream it easily. You have to buy a Blu-ray or 4k you know disc thank goodness that's actually even available uh but it's very unfortunate that uh it's not more easily accessible because there is a lot to recommend it and ultimately i did end up enjoying the film and and think there's a lot of cool stuff in it so uh i recommend to live and die in la by william friedkin that's one thing i've been watching this week jeff canada hit us up with something else you've been watching Checked out a new animated series that hit Apple TV Plus called Strange Planet. Uh, This is from, uh, well, Dan Harmon's involved, uh, obviously from uh, Rick and Morty. Uh, But it is a adaptation of the very popular webcomic by Nathan Pyle. I don't know if either of you are familiar with it. I'm familiar um, with the comic. Ex- extremely yeah. familiar and a big fan. I actually bought the book of the comic. Yeah. So I'm a big fan. What, best, what'd you, New York really Times best selling book. Yeah. yeah. Um the were idea you, of Str- you, you, were you a fan of the comic before, Jeff? Yes, I was. Yeah. And and um I'm probably not as familiar with it as you. I didn't I never bought the book or had the book, but I visited the web comic several times. Um it's a clever idea. The uh, the the notion here is you know, looking at uh Earth uh, at, at our culture. Uh, as if it were an alien culture. Uh, it very much recalls the the novel that I did the audiobook for uh, called Traveling in Space, which is a first contact uh, first contact novel, but from the perspective of the aliens. So the aliens are coming to Earth and looking at Earth and going, "What? Why do humans behave like this?" That's kind of what Strange Planet is doing as well. It's not mm-hmm. first contact. It it literally only takes place. The, all the characters, everyone, it's it's populated by aliens and they look odd they are blue and they're kind of bulbous and they don't have any distinctive features uh, no noses they all look almost exactly the same um so it's this homogenous kind of look to all the little alien looking creatures but everything they do is what we do here on earth they, uh, you know particularly american culture they are you know they're dealing with uh, uh, all the same things that that we do but describing them as if an alien was describing something they didn't understand. So for example, there's a, a scene where there's a, one character is talking about, you know, having a dessert. And he said, I want to, I want to have a, uh, a melted cocoa slab, you know, which is obviously a chocolate bar, right. Or some melted chocolate, or they'll talk about, you know, going in an airplane and call it a, a flying machine or whatever. It's these, you know, very, um, austere kind of presentational descriptions of everything that managed to actually make you recontextualize how you think about things. Cause it's all from this perspective of, Oh, isn't it strange how we do all these things we take for granted, all these behaviors, all these objects, all these things in the world that we just take for granted because that's how the world works. What if you described them in a different way? What if you, um, approached them as if it was an alien species you are observing for the first time. And it kind of draws out the 
the weirdness of everyday things. And it's pretty funny. I think the show is really funny. I think the show is really well done. Um, it stars Danny Pudi, who I love. And uh, it's great to hear him doing it. And he is uniquely, as, as demonstrated from Community, his time on Community, he is uniquely suited to uh, <laughs> talk in that fashion, talk in that sort of overly descriptive kind of... Uh, <laughs> a clunky, you know, purposefully clunky way. Like his character on Community did that a lot too, where you're talking like, I don't understand this flying machine. Uh, that's how this, that's what this show demands of its actors. And he does it very, very well. I really like Strange Planet. I think it's very funny, very fun, a, a very clever idea. And um, I highly recommend it. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. I've watched uh, only two episodes so far, but I'm I'm hooked. You know, Jeff, I ended up seeing a couple of these too, and uh, it doesn't quite capture the comic for me. Like, mm. do you feel a sort of difference there? Like, it's fine. It is a perfectly fine animated show, but I know this comic used to hit me in, in really special ways uh, back in the day, and the show was just like, it feels a little watered down almost. So I don't know, but it's perfectly fine. It's definitely funny at times. Well, I think the the uh, sort of difficulty level of, of a show is much higher than that of a comic, I think. Right, right? Because right. the comic, you watch, you look at four panels and it makes you think, oh yeah, th that is funny. funny how we it's sing funny. happy birthday. That is interesting how we do that, right? Like, uh, and then whereas a TV show needs to get you to invest in characters and storylines and so on. And uh, but it sounds like it's successful in doing that for you, Jeff, mm -hmm. and maybe less successful for Devendra. Yeah. I think particularly if you've never experienced the comic, uh, maybe give it a shot because I, I think it's a very, um, I think it's a, it's a wonderful take on looking at ourselves in the mirror. It's a, it's yeah. like, it forces you to kind of look at yourself in the mirror through this other lens. And I think that's, it's just, it's a fun smart and you're like oh man that is that is that is what that is we would never describe it that way but that is what that is yeah i, I enjoy yeah. that agreed all right well that's strange planet it's on apple tv plus that's something jeff canal has been watching this week let's take another break for a sponsor we'll be back with more right after this hey gotta jump in here and tell you about our sponsor factor you know falls right around the corner it's coming up kids are going back to school who has time for food now, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days like I am. That is why I turn to Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, which can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. This is what I've been doing well before Factor was ever a sponsor, my wife got me hooked on Factor. Why? Because I often skip lunch. It's not something I'm proud of. I get going during the day. I get busy. My head's down, and then I look up, and it's 2 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock. I don't have time. I, I can't go upstairs, make myself a meal. Uh, I'm down in my office. I'm, I'm like a hermit uh, starving to death down here. But Factor has saved the day because with Factor... I can skip the extra trip to the grocery store. I don't have to worry if we've got enough to even make food. I don't have to chop and prep and clean up. I've got that extra flavor and I've got that nutritional quality that I need. And the meals are never frozen and ready in just two minutes. So all I have to do is heat them and enjoy them. And I got to tell you folks, I'm not just saying this. We were eating factor well before they were a sponsor. My wife 
loves them. I love them. We look forward to getting our factor delivery every single week because they have over 34 weekly flavor-packed dietitian-approved meals ready to eat in two minutes. Tons of variety, and they taste really good. They got these gourmet plus options that are prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. You treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. I don't particularly care for asparagus. I'll let my wife have that one. Ooh, but truffle butter, baby. (laughs) It helps me with portion control and staying healthy. You got the protein plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. You got to head over to factormeals.com slash filmcast50 to use our promo code filmcast50 to get yourself 50% off. 50%! That's like half. It's code filmcast50, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-5-0 at factormeals.com slash filmcast50 to get 50% off. All right, uh, Devinger Hardware, hit us up with some LC watching. Sure, I've been checking out the show Deadlock on Amazon Prime Video. Um, this is a show created by Kate McCartney, Kate McLennan, starring Kate Box. All the Kates. Kates. All the Kates. It's Kates all the way down. Um, this is a sort of show that is, um, it's like a humorous spin on a murder mystery that ends up becoming a very, um, a very like intriguing murder mystery show on its own. And uh, there were some reviews floating around telling people to watch this. And I, I, I like these things. I like the like Top of the Lake um, and Broadchurch and shows like that. Um, I believe the working title people were talking about um, was just Funny Broadchurch. That, that's what they were aiming for. Broadchurch, <laughs> but funny. Um, I think it kind of gets there. Um, I'm glad they did. They just did not go straight for that title. Um, yeah, it's set in an Australian town about um, mostly women de- detective and women characters. And it follows a lead detective as she is pulled into a, uh, a murder investigation. It's all... It's all, it's all just kind of heightened and kind of silly and it kind of like taps into the weirdness of these things too. Like, uh, you know, the show starts with two um, like teenage girls stumbling on a dead body on the beach and, um, you know, it's a dead body. It's naked. So there, there's a penis out there. It's going it, to it's it's kind of hilarious and awkward. One of them drops their cigarette on on the penis and it starts burning on the pubic hair. Like it, it's just it is a funny comedy of, uh, you know scenarios like that uh the the actual police force is funny too because uh they're not really equipped this is a small australian town they're not equipped for something like this so there's like a trainee detective who is just very bumbling and i think hilarious in everything she does i think the show is a lot of fun and if you're sick of um these types of shows it's actually a good um i think like a good salve against Hey, this is another dead body, and we got to figure out what's going on here, and uh, some something's going on in this community, and uh, you know it's not as ideal as it looks on the surface. I think this show kind of reckons with a lot of that. It is basically a black comedy, but it's also so smart and well written that it ends up becoming a very good murder mystery on its own. It was also a funny thing to watch because I am I'll talk about only murders in the building in a bit, um, but it's kind of like in a similar vein too. Like they these are murder mysteries that aren't as fully serious 
as this genre tends to be. I find that kind of fun. So yeah, if you're enjoying Only Murders in the Building and you like this genre, check out Deadlock. It's on Amazon Prime right now. I'd throw After Party in that mix as well. After Party's right there. It's very in vogue right now to do the uh, humorous murder mystery show. It's definitely in vogue. This is, uh, I think, more, this is very like Australian dry humor, Mm. but I think it's a lot more fun and interesting than After Party because I think I was a little disappointed by that, like you were, Jeff. I was, yeah. Yeah. I was a big fan of After Party, but I got to say, the episodes are commitment, man. They are. They're 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 like one hour long, you know, and I'm just like, I don't, you know. Are you watching season two? I haven't started season two yet because I'm I'm daunted. They're long. Because the the episodes are long. And I'm just like. You got only murders murders in the building there, and the episodes are about half an hour each. Yeah. So easy to like. So good. Yeah. There you go. Chomp it. Yeah. Well, anyway, Deadlock, uh, Devendra, you have intrigued me. Uh, so I will try to check it out. That's uh, D-E-A-D-L-O-C-H. All right, guys, it's time for another segment of, or another edition of everyone's favorite segment on the podcast, Dave's B-Movies. Dave's B-Movies, B-Movies, Dave's B-Movies, the movies that he wanted to see earlier, but he could in theaters, and now they're out of video on I don't think you know what favorite means. Yeah, you really just dropped that <laughs> on us, didn't you? Yeah. Thanks uh, to No Ross for that bumper music. So, uh, you know, this the, the theme song actually isn't ac- is not accurate this time because uh, that theme song implies that I wanted to see this movie before and I couldn't, and now I'm watching it on streaming or video on demand. Uh, but in fact, I don't believe this movie re- received a theatrical release, or at least not one that was easily accessible. Hmm. This is a movie called River Wild. It is one of the top movies on Netflix. The River Wild? I saw the that River in the Wild. 90s. Mm. <laughs> Christian Slater. If you uh, thought Meryl to yourself, Streep? Wasn't it Meryl Streep in that? <laughs> that is right. If you thought to yourself, hey, uh, The River Wild, the Curtis Hansen 1994 film starring Meryl Streep, David Strathairn, and Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin What Bacon. a great film. I would love to see that reimagined for the modern day. That's what this is? Yes, it is. <laughs> I said Kevin. I said, uh, I meant Kevin Bacon. I, I said. Yeah. Uh, Our modern day Kevin Bacon, Slater. Adam Brody. I love Adam yes. Brody, but man. And I'm just going to put this out there. I like this movie. I thought it was a bunch of fun. Uh, it is not. Uh, as good as the 1994 movie. I mean, if your thriller uh, stars Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, and David Strathairn, uh, it's going to be pretty tough to have any movie live up to that. And I don't know that this River Wild is is as good as that. But also, <laughs> most people don't care because they haven't <laughs> seen or remember the 1994 River Wild. I right? think it's like, funny that they kind of admit that with the title just dropping the the drop the, like, the make it we're cleaner just right a river yeah. wild it, we're not the river wild we're not the river wild yeah yes. we understand well d- all deference to the river wild we're just another river wild indeed i've always thought river wild was an interesting name too like um because yeah, it's wh- it's the river and then wild being yeah. an adjectives that describes river presumably why not wild river you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, because I, I don't think River Wild is like an official. Maybe it is, you know. But I, as far as I can tell, it's not like an official term for you know. If you're into whitewater rafting, I don't. Maybe it is, you know. If people will educate me at slashfilmcast@gmail.com if that's the case. But, uh, but yeah, now they got rid of the the, and it's just River Wild, and it's, it tells a pretty similar story to the original where. 
uh, people are trying to get down a river and uh, somebody, you know, for reasons that are beyond their control, you know, uh, like they, they have to do a thing for reasons that are beyond their control. I'm not going to reveal exactly why that's the case. So uh, the cast is not as good, but it, as the original river wild, but it's still very solid. Adam Brody's in the movie. Terum, Terum, uh, Killam completely unrecognizable in this movie. Terum Killam uh, plays one of the river people. On, he's on. He's in the boat, uh, and he's he's good at doing rivering things. Starring as River, yeah, <laughs> starring yeah. River, yeah. Uh, and Leighton Meester, who I think was in Gossip Girl, is one of the the main actors as well. Um, Man, I I want to know the circumstances that made Meryl Streep do the River Wild. It's, in it is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, because then literally the next movie she does is Bridges of Madison County, which mm-hmm. I think she won the Academy Award for. Uh, or at least she was yeah. nominated for it. I I really liked The River Wild when it came out. I mean, it is a solid genre film, right? Yeah. That, that's it. That's all it is. It is not aspiring to be anything more than that. And the case is also, that is also true of River Wild, right? It is just a very solid genre film. And let me, let me tell you guys, um, my, I feel like at the same time as I've started, like, it's harder for me to like movies these days, you know, I find, or rather, let me put it in a different way. Let me, let me see it. Let me be careful here. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself liking, like, or really loving fewer and fewer of the major releases that are out. Uh, definitely, that's been the case this summer. At the same time that that's happening, I feel like my standards for movies are getting lower, <laughs> right? Like... Um, so it's like the, the, the movies are not even meeting my very low standards. Uh-huh. And, uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about a movie like river wild is it actually looks like they went and did the thing. It actually looks like they went and went whitewater rafting and actually shot things on the water. And I just give a lot more credit these days. And this is true when you, whenever you watch any movies, whenever I'm watching movies that take place in the eighties or nineties or that were released then, you know, like to live and die in LA, uh, some of the the action scenes in that movie are mind blowing to me because it looks like they actually did those things for they, real. You they know? had to, yeah, they had to. There's no CG back then, right? Or or if there was, it wasn't capable of what they wanted to do it at the price that they were willing to pay. And so, uh, I, I just give a lot of credit to any movie that can do that, that, that. Where people go to a place, they do a thing. That's the case with River Wild. There's actually some decent action scenes in this movie. A lot of the movie looks pretty great, in my opinion. And it gives you some some decent thrills. And best of all, the movie's 90 minutes long, right? So it's like you're, you're in and out. You get some good thrills. You get some Adam Brody in there. You get some Tarim Gillum in there, uh, Killam in there. And um, hey, what more can you ask for? So I'm a fan of this B-movie, River Wild. Um, not as good as the original, not 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 one of my top ten movies of the year. Well, what makes it, it a B it, movie too? Uh, oh, oh, so B movies in general, I think, are like low budget movies. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So this is a relatively low budget movie. You know, it looks it doesn't okay. look like it costs that much money to make. I, um, feel, I feel like B movies are like you know very specifically kind of like genre yeah. type. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. specifically genre more than the, this. It's it, these those, people go down a wild river. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, a river wild. A river yeah. wild. Yeah, those, I think they're both. That's true. Uh, both things are true to me. Right? Low okay. budget okay. and also genre film, and uh, that is definitely the case with river with river wild. Um, it's, uh, so gotcha, yeah, gotcha. it's impressive that they remade it and trimmed off twenty one minutes. 
<laughs> the, fr- the original is an hour fifty one. Yeah, that's where the was. The, yeah. the, the, the lack the of the, the reflects that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's some very silly things about River Wild as well, and most of the characters are pretty underdeveloped, including the protagonist. Uh, so you know, it's not it's not an amazing movie, but I I got what I wanted to get out of it, you know. Uh, and so River Wild, fun. you know, is directed by the same dude that directed L.A. Confidential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the original River Curtis Wild. Hansen. No River Wild. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Kind of yes. a big deal. Yeah. Jeff, have you seen the River Wild? Uh, yeah, it came out when I was working at the movie theater in high school. <laughs> I see, I see. And yeah, so, yes, it did. I did. Because you see, you you see. I mean, I, am, I, I think I, I understand I'm, why you're surprised. I understand why you're surprised because it's like a it's a it's a genre film, right? Like it's <laughs> there's there's not much. It's like why would somebody work on that movie? It's it it, it continues to baffle me to this day as well. I have to. Well, the what I'm fascinated about it is that I haven't thought about this. I literally went white rod rafting last weekend, and I didn't even think about this movie, uh, <laughs> which is wild because it's River Wild because um, it just it amazes me that this thing exists. Like all this talent leveraged on this, I, I kind of want to go back and rewatch this. The original, uh, not not the crap movie you talked about. <laughs> no, not the one I'm mentioning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, again, I think I think honestly, you'll have similar adjectives to describe both movies, which is that you know it's not going to change your life, but it's very solid. Uh, the the Jeff, here's the thing that's even more mind blowing than what you said. Okay, somebody watched The River Wild and said, "Let's remake I'm that." I'm going to spend a year of my life remaking this movie, right? Like, yeah, th- that that's what's amazing to me is is that they were so inspired by The River Wild. That they're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remake this for the modern era with the all nude set of actors. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, uh, the River Wild, something that has had a grasp <laughs> on many people's imaginations for many years, apparently. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's like and, and uh, it, it surprises me as well. It surprises. I wanna, well. you know, I I feel like we could find the next Meryl Streep. Let's mm-hmm. we could remake one of her great uh, achievements. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, really? Uh, you're talking about like. Uh, Sophie's Choice, Sophie's you know. Choice. <laughs> you're, talking about, you're talking about Sophie's Choice, right? You're talking about maybe um, adaptation. Devil Wears Prada. Iron. The Hours. <laughs> you're the Iron Lady. What, 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 what do you, what do you? Ricky and the Flash. <laughs> Mama the Mia? Post. Are you going to do Mama Mia? That just came out. Out of Africa. <laughs> Death Becomes Her. <laughs> no, we're going with the River Wild. We're going the with the River Wild. Candidate. Ironweed. <laughs> Post Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Somebody. August Osage County. <laughs> no, we're so going yeah. with the River Wild. Basically, the take-home is the original Curtis Hanson River Wild is far better than any of us thought it was. That's yeah, really the take right? Because that's that's how you get Kevin Bacon, David Strathairn, and Meryl Streep to sign up for it. That's how you get a remake of that movie for modern day, streaming right now on Netflix. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible that we have a remake of River Wild. Okay. Anyway, solid movie. I really liked it. If you want a good genre film, if you want a good B-movie, check it out, River Wild. All right, that's one thing I've been watching. Divinder Hardwar, you want to mention one last thing? Sure, one last thing. So, yeah, I did the thing that I did with Justified, and I caught up on Only Murders in the Building, which some people have told me 
This is a very good TV show. Yeah, bit, baby. Bit, bit, bit of so an good. easier task to catch up on this one, I think. A bit of, of an easier task. Number but, of uh, episodes and length of episodes. Like, yeah, it, was, it was much easier. Yeah. But the delight delight factor is very comparable, in my opinion. Very mm-hmm. comparable delight factor. I have to say, like, some episodes I watched on TV and some I was like, so I usually, I don't know about you guys, I have to spend like an hour in my kitchen every night just cleaning up. Just like dishes baby stuff like get the get the kitchen ready for the next day so it shall be ruined again mm-hmm. and in that time i have discovered i used to just listen to podcasts and i'm like no i could just put an ipad up here and just like listen to a show as i'm doing that so that's how i was doing um that's how i did justified and i did that mostly for the show as well uh it's a lot of fun you're right jeff this is one of the best tv shows on air right now and um, you know everything you're saying about it is great. I think I think it's very funny. It's hilarious. It has some great, uh, just great writing. Um, Steve Martin, uh, Selena Gomez, uh, Martin Short—they're all fantastic in this. I realized as I as I have like been watching it, I'm fully caught up now. I'm in season three. Um, this show is basically Frasier, except <laughs> Frasier as a murder mystery. I'm like, that's why I like it. I love Frasier. That's fine. But it is very much about like uppity, uh, kind of like rich or semi-rich people in, uh, you know, in uh, fancy buildings and uh, just their lives and the the things that make them unique and special. Um, but yeah, it's very much Frasier. It's very much, um, I was thinking of something else too. Now it's slipping my mind. But, you know, Frasier is a good comparison. I think it's a lot of fun um, and everybody should be watching it. Uh, one thing. That is kind of bugging me about this and certainly was in the first two seasons is that, you know, it's a show about a true crime podcast, right? And I don't understand how the podcast gets made. (laughs) I don't don't understand it because basically Steve Martin and Martin Short are just like with their phones just running around recording things sometimes and sometimes they have a microphone out in the middle of the floor where they're reading things uh through paper as if they're performing a play or something these are these people don't have web skills they don't have <laughs> audio engineering background but they 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 yada 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 and the show is up on itunes i just have to say kids people listening podcast takes a lot more than that somewhere he doesn't respect our profession enough he doesn't re- it's just it's funny how it yada yada yadas <laughs> the thing that makes a podcast you know like actually like anything i just find that really funny it's i like, mean it's this very is magic. like saying in glee like why don't why do they show up they all know how to sing the song do you know what i mean like uh, i mean I, they, I, they, I, they, they we see this show that show was about them tr- learning in training to sing songs on stage. It's, it's the same <laughs> reason. The process. It's, it's the same reason there's not a single cop show that shows cops filling out paperwork. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I saw The Wire. There's a lot of paperwork. On the wire. <laughs> That's true. That's you know? true. <laughs> the, the actual process of cop of do, doing cop work is, it's not shown in everything, but it's there. Um, the 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 sergeant is always threatening the you know the officer with paperwork. Like that happens in Justified all the time. I just found it funny. That this show is like very much. It's about podcasts. <laughs> How's a podcast get made? Podcast! <laughs> Don't worry about how the podcast gets made. Um, it's really funny. I think it's really good. It's on Hulu. So you guys should should catch up. Um, one thing I also want to say is that it's a very, very sweet show in the way that a lot of things aren't these days. I yeah. think it's very compassionate and it has compassion for every character, including the ones who do bad things. Yep. I find that really, really just fascinating and very interesting like nobody i mean people do awful things um but i feel like rarely in the show somebody outright evil 
there was always sympathy there. There's always a background for some characters. And uh, yeah, like some some scenes, even even scenes involving people doing bad things, like make me tear up the way people relate to loss in their lives or the the lack of direction they're feeling in their lives. I think it's all very, very meaningful and very well done. So and even yeah, the like show's cartoonish two dimensional characters in other shows yes. or, or that are even presented as cartoonish and two dimensional in this show. Later on, you find out, oh, my gosh, they have a full life, mm-hmm. full backstory that is revealed and, and justifies that behavior. Uh, it's it's remarkable that way. And very, very well written. I got to say this this season. Meryl Streep's finest work since the River Wild. Yeah, speaking of Meryl Streep, she's back. <laughs> she's back, baby. Indeed. Or at, at least since the Steven Soderbergh film, The Laundromat. Just, you know? <laughs> uh, and and Devendra, I, I remember the real turning point for me when it came to mm-hmm. podcast production was when Anchor launched. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that made it easy, sure. That, that made it, you know, now, uh, th- I think they have since been acquired by Spotify, but the idea was that with, with Anchor is that, uh, which originally was at anchor.fm, mm-hmm. is that you could create and distribute an entire podcast using by just talking your, to your phone. Just your yeah. phone. Yeah. Now, a podcast of the type that they're making in Only Birders in the Building <laughs> requires a massive amount of production hours. It's per a highly minute, produced per show. minute per minute of podcast. You guys are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I agree with you there, but I don't think that it's impossible for someone to put out a podcast using just their phone. Uh, no, I, I did not that... say that. I said like what this show is doing is just it. It, it was funny to me. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I read about things all the time. Like or I review things like involving the tech industry or journalism or something. Like yeah, that process is not right. But you're aiming for something, I guess. I just found it funny. Like it's literally just like the Seinfeld. Yada yada yada. <laughs> you got a podcast. They leave out the boring parts. Yeah. 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 I think it it confers upon <laughs> it. Uh, it respects the art of podcasting about as much as the general public does. You know? <laughs> this is not Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, which goes into audio engineering mm. and the weirdness around yes. audio, you know, which would be kind of fun if they did that. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, those are the things that we have been watching this week. Let's take one last break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. All right. Let's get to weekly plugs. We're going to do weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to uh, throw a shout out to my free newsletter, Decoding Everything, at decodingeverything.com. This week I wrote about uh, my experience watching Old Boy in a theater uh, and uh, described it in detail. So if you want to hear all about it, uh, then be sure to check out my free newsletter at decodingeverything.com. That's my weekly plug. Devinder Hardware, hit us up with your weekly plug. Yeah, well, I was out, actually, for the last three weeks. Uh, but w- during that time, one of the guides I wrote, a guide around best budget gaming laptops, went up at Engadget. And I think it's worth taking a look. I often get questions from people like, uh, you know, do, do I need to buy a $2,000 Alienware? Do I need to, like, step up and up? No, you can actually spend $1,000 or less and get something that can play, you know, games that are released today. And that'll probably last you a couple of years, too. So I've got some recommendations from Dell, Acer, and HP in there. Um, you know, check it out. And if you're just looking like 
you know, uh, general questions and like what to look for in a budget gaming laptop. I've got those answered there too. Check that out on Engadget.com. Jeff Kanata. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the, or a little while longer, uh, the fact that I'm doing a book club, uh, the DLC book club. We are reading the Malazan Books of the Fallen. Uh, it is on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. And I actually got a number of people who heard about it for the first time from the film cast and started reading along with us and interacting in that community. And it delighted me and encouraged me to bring it up again here. If you like books, boy, have I got some books for you. There is another reason I'm bringing it up again this week because the Malazan Books of the Fallen, the series that we are tackling first on the book club, we are on book three, Memories of Ice. These are a, a 10 novel series by Steven Erickson, a fantasy series. I know that sounds like a lot, but my goodness, you'll want to keep going. If you're like us, uh, we are completely hooked. There's actually more than 10 novels. There's ancillary trilogies, there's novellas, there's short stories that sit in the world. It's amazing. And right now, Humble Bundle is offering all of Steven Erickson's Malazan Books of the Fallen as part of a Humble Bundle, which means all the proceeds go to charity and you pay what you will. So you can get not only the 10 main novels in the series, but all the ancillary books, his most recent trilogy of novels, the novellas, this massive amount of stuff in the EPUB format. You can easily put that on Kindle using an application called Caliber. It's fantastic. And it's it's hundreds of dollars worth, worth of books that you can get for pay what you can and help a charity. And then you can come hang out at the book club at youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. Read along with us. Have a great time. We've gotten so many wonderful people involved in, in reading these books and enjoying these books and getting back into reading. Come hang out. Check it out with us. YouTube.com slash Kanata Jeff. Of course, I also want to plug the podcast itself. Patreon.com slash film podcast is how you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks and support this show and keep it going. We really appreciate anyone that can support us. Of course, we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. It's very easy to support us for free. Leave a star rating for us or a review for us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Share our videos at youtube.com slash at the filmcast pod or instagram.com slash the filmcast pod. It really does help to get the word out and you can do it for free. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast in any way. Let's get to our review of Blue Beetle. Everything right now feels so out of reach. You always land on your feet, bro. You're hymen. They don't get out much. <laughs> I just want to rap. Jenny? I just want to rap. Guard the head with your life, but do not open it. You went in to get a shops, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. Welcome to the film cast's review of Blue Beetle. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. An alien scarab chooses college graduate Jaime Reyes to be its symbi symbiotic host, bestowing the teenager with a suit of armor that's capable of extraordinary and unpredictable powers, end quote. So as I mentioned in the main episode of the film cast podcast, uh, this is a movie that unfortunately only opened with around $25 million. That's one of the lowest openings in DC history. Yeah. Uh, I feel so bad for this movie. Like for, since the beginning of the year, 
I've been feeling like, oh, this movie's going to get shafted. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Yeah. Uh, number one, it obviously uh, is a scenario where James Gunn announced a whole new DC universe uh, of which this is kind of a remnant of the last one. Now, uh, to be clear, James Gunn has said repeatedly that Blue Beetle will factor into the world that he's creating somehow. So he, he has reiterated that um, a couple of occasions. Uh, so it's possible we will see this version of the character live on in some way. But and then, of no course, specific ties that I'm aware of in this movie to the stuff that's come before. This could be the first of the next <laughs> round, you guys. Yeah, very, very possibly, very possibly. Uh, and on top of that, obviously, the uh, writers and, and actor strike is going on right now. Um, my heart does go out to people like Zola Maradona, who is the star of this movie. You know, can you imagine like this being the big movie? Uh, that you're headlining and then you can't actually say anything about it. It sucks. Yeah, um, and you, you get this crazy shot. You probably would be able to do amazing press and like yeah. live in that moment. And yeah. nope, all taken away. That's such yeah. a bummer. And, and you know, and to be clear, um, the studios need to give the actors and writers what they want, you know, like that's uh, and end this thing. So everyone can get back to work. Uh, I, I put the responsibility squarely on their shoulders because it's their job to run this place. But anyway, putting all that aside, the question before us today is, you know, this this movie didn't do very well at the box office, but Devendra, do you think it deserved to do better? Let's start there. I do think it did deserve to do better. Like, I, I've seen worse films from the DC, you know, output of stuff so far. This is a very... I, I've seen worse yeah. Marvel films. I've seen worse Marvel films, for sure. <laughs> this year. This is a... It's a very basic superhero premise. It's like it's like they went to the superhero movie factory and made a cookie cutter version of another character uh, who has powers similar to to Iron Man and also sort of Spider-Man, but also sort of Green Lantern. Um, there, there, there's a lot of things going on here. I don't know anything about this character or the background of it, um, but this movie, I think, is perfectly fine. And I think there are some highlights to it, too, like the focus on, you know, a Mexican family and how important the family is to this character does strike like does feel different than most other superhero stories where they're keeping the secret from their family and you know they, it has to be a private thing or the family like instantly like uh disavows them or something like no it's it's all it's very much hashtag family in a lot of fun ways too i think the way they use some of those family members is is genuinely fun um i think i like most of the actors involved here too like i think it's a great setup and premise and even the action at times, like when this movie gets going and the kid gets the suit and they they get to do some big action sequences, I think the movie generally has fun with it. I just feel really bad that, yeah, it does feel like going into this, it's like, you know, he, it's already dead. Like going into this movie, I felt like no, it didn't feel like audiences had a way to save it because there's very little buzz for it. Um, the studio, even before the strike or anything, it didn't feel like there was much of a push of support for this thing. And I think it's perfectly fine. I hope it gets some legs on streaming and on video on demand because I, I could see especially kids watching this and, you know, Latin American kids watching this, like seeing parts of their culture not not ever really shown in a typical superhero thing too. Like, uh, you know, we, we don't see it too often. Um, you know, in the Spider-Verse movies, uh, Miles is, uh, you know, he's a, he's an Afro-Latina, Afro-Latin guy. And he, it's, it doesn't factor that much into those movies too. So yeah, I, I think th this one is at least doing things differently. It has some things to say. Also, like there there is, um, you know, there is a raid that happens 
in this movie that feels like there are tinges of what people feel like, you know, when they're worried about immigration and they're worried about their status and things like that. So like it is tapping into some real world fears and also some real words, world situations. So yeah, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. And I wish there was just more love for this movie from the studio level. And certainly even before the strikes and everything, I just wish like there was more of a push for this thing. Cause I thought it was uh, perfectly enjoyable. On on that note, Jeff, mm-hmm. may I, may I like uh, take us on a mild tangent before we get to your thoughts? Is that cool? Or, you may. Yeah. Um, it it feels to me, and Jeff, I'm kind of curious what you think about this. Like, it not feels, enough to ask me. I, I was I was about I was about <laughs> to ask you. I was I was just letting you know I was about to ask you before we get to the limerick. That's why, Jeff. Okay, but I'm glad you're I'm glad you're picking up on my subtle uh, hints during the podcast. It's really just hold off on that so, limerick, Jeff. I'm Radio. so curious what you think. That I'm going to go on a tangent far away from it. <laughs> uh, I, I think um, it, it really does feel to me as though the superhero genre uh, or comic book superhero genre is kind of, if not in crisis, at the very least in at an inflection point. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 did well. So, like, no, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. But there was Quantumania this year. There was The Flash. There was this movie. None of those movies did well. Right, yeah. crisis of um, infinite adaptations. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> right. And it, it does feel to me as though, uh, and, and these movies are very expensive. This movie costs around one hundred five to one twenty, is what the numbers have been bandied about. And that's the problem: is like these are massive bets that the studio makes, and for many, many years they could count on these movies having like a minimum threshold of box office. And now it doesn't feel like they can anymore. Um, I'm really curious how the Marvels is going to do. You know, because that's coming out in November and it's going to really decide for me whether like this engine still has gas left in it. But Jeff Kanat, I'm curious, before we get to your thoughts on Blue Beetle, like, you know, you're one of the biggest superhero movie fans on this podcast. And I'm curious, like, if you feel like people are getting tired of this or if you're getting tired of this kind of stuff. I think I I think the answer is yes to both. I mean, I honestly I and not just this because this is a DC movie, you know, obviously I've, I've said many times that, you know, I'm a Marvel zombie from way back, but even Marvel's output at this point, you know, I, I have not finished secret invasion. I, I just like, can't bring myself to keep watching it. I, you know, I, I think my interest has tapered, uh, precipitously. And I have said, uh, I think I said on this show that, uh, I consider the last Marvel cinematic universe movie to be Endgame. Like that mm-hmm. was the last Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. There's been more superhero movies, but I feel like the Marvel Cinematic Universe came to a close. They did it. They did it. They hit the, they hit a home run. And and I think that <laughs> it hasn't been a cinematic universe after that. There's been some shared people in other movies, but it really hasn't been. It's been this mishmash of superhero movies, some good, mm-hmm. some not so good. So even Marvel isn't really doing it. And here we are on this you know, at the cusp of of James Gunn really going all in and trying to create this cohesive thing at, at DC, and I really believe in his abilities and and his yeah. talent, his his skill to create compelling movies. I'm very excited to see his Superman movie, but I I I am inclined to think that this thing has run its course, and we're not going to see the highs ever again that we used to. I think there's still going to be successful superhero movies. Clearly, Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, uh, huge hits, right? Or at least Across the Spider-Verse, huge hit. 
there's going to be, the, there's still going to be interest in these iconic characters. And if a great movie is going to come out, it'll come out and do well. I think if you, the next Batman movie, Matt Reeves doing yeah. another Batman movie, I think that has a chance to do very, very well. Uh, the, I don't think superhero movies are going away. I just think them being the dominant yeah. cinema attraction is waning. And I don't know what's going to fill that void. I suspect... Video games, Jeff! It's going to be video video games and it's going to be toys like Barbie. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Barbie and Super Mario Brothers. Get ready for that Polly Pocket movie, the uh, Link. Barbie and uh, Super Mario Brothers are are the canary in the coal mine. They are signaling the next wave Mm. of what we're going to see and be inundated with. And I can't complain, right? Because I got what I wanted. So I'm going to, you know, here we go. But um, it would be nice to get some just original films again you know just but that's, i don't know what that i don't know unlikely. what that is i don't know yeah. what that is yeah um, is that streaming it's like, is that it's like the river about? wild dave <laughs> an original <laughs> concept movies like the river wild i think is what you're saying yeah yes. i understand that how about how about we remake the river wild <laughs> now you're yeah. talking yeah. perhaps we should talk about that on the main show that you should listen to if you're watching this at the filmcast.com but anyway uh i think that's really well said jeff and we should acknowledge the Batman came out last year, massively successful. Um, Across the Spider-Verse came out this year, massively successful. So it's not like superhero films are not doing well. And and I agree with yeah. you, Jeff. There will continue to be superhero films. Are, but are the, the idea... Turtles superheroes? They're superheroes. Kind of. Well, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Comic, enough, book, comic book heroes. Yeah. I, I also think... But I, I, let me just finish. I think the sure. idea that what you said, the idea that like... Uh, these every single one will be a cultural juggernaut, and mm-hmm. that you can release six, seven, eight of these a year, and every single one's going to do well. Like that time really feels like it's over at this point, right? The so. other thing I think is that you know Marvel managed to spin all these plates and keep keep this this drive towards something larger, this shared universe concept that was so novel and so amazing, and in doing so infused properties that had no cultural footprint mm-hmm. with a cultural footprint, right? We yeah. had an Ant-Man yeah. movie, multiple Ant-Man movies that people rushed out to see. We had all of these characters that, unless you were me growing up collecting comics, uh, mm-hmm. you didn't, it couldn't care less about. All of a sudden people were, you know, enthusiastic about Guardians of the Galaxy and a, and a raccoon inventor, you know, these preposterous comic book ideas somehow gained cultural relevance. I don't think, I I still think we will have people that want to see a great Superman movie, a great Batman movie, a great Spider-Man movie. I don't think that is ever going to go away. There's something indelible about those characters. Blue Beetle, that's a harder sell, I think. And I think Marvel's going to find that too, where you have all of these sort of uh, bottom of the barrel, uh, you know, that's, a pejorative, but I, I don't mean it that way. These, you know, characters that most people have never heard of, you know, the booster golds of the world for DC, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, all these characters that they're moving to now, they're just, I don't think that it's going to sustain that anymore because Marvel is not really spinning the plates like they used to. They're not building up to something grand that everybody's anticipating and they don't have the big characters yeah. supporting that foundation. And I, you know, maybe James Gunn will be able to pull it off, but I think I think his Superman movie could come out and do wonderful. And everybody will think, okay, superhero movies, let's go full gusto and make yeah. all your your crazy ancillary characters. And I just don't think that that's ever gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could be yeah. wrong. I mean, 
we were we were originally supposed to have a Craven the Hunter movie come out this fall, yeah, right, which is in the Spider Man universe, and uh, that movie probably wasn't going to do very well. But I do think there was a time in our cultural history where a movie like Blue Beetle could have come out and done much better than it did this weekend. That's what I'm saying, right? Like one hundred percent. And I think those times are are over, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a a bit of a bummer for it's movies like for movies like this one that actually have even, some good things about it. But yeah, even yeah. the flash, like the flash, I think three or four years ago would have crushed mm-hmm. when yeah. it was supposed to come out. Like, I mean, nobody yeah. could have predicted like the delays of COVID and yeah, like yeah. where we are as a culture now too, but also, yeah, the Marvel's failures now show how hard it is to spin all those plates. Like you're building up to Kang and then, you may lose your Kang, you know? Yeah, so it's right. like, there, there's right. a lot of things that could go wrong here. My other thing with this is like in the trailers for this movie, dude just looks like Iron Man. They're doing the Iron Man thing. And I feel yeah. like it wasn't doing a new thing to mm-hmm. kind of convince people to like, go see we've, we've yeah. seen people in suits pointing hands at each other already. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, th- that is something that I do think I would argue that movies like across the spider verse and the Batman, have done something quite new and different with those characters that we haven't seen before. And that is also key to success in this era that we're in right now. Yes. My opinion, Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on blue beetle. Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts on blue beetle are best summed up in the form of a limerick. It's very much what we've been talking about. When the DCU was still fetal, this film may have well moved the needle. Wow. Had that been the plan, this could have been Iron Man, which eventually featured Don Cheadle. <laughs> uh, you know what would be amazing yeah. one day, Jeff, is if yeah. you do like a really tortured rhyme and then the final thing is not actually referring to what we think it is. You know what I'm saying? That's like, what I just did. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's, true. <laughs> that's what I just did, Dave. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> It was so. Wouldn't it, it be so amazing br- if you did the thing you just did? That's true. It was so. In, in my head, I checked off. Oh, he's gonna rhyme with Blue Beetle, and I didn't. Even, of the course, brilli- the brilliance the, of it didn't even. That was even the joke, hit. David. I mean, t- tell me what the brilliance was. It would have been funny either way. It would have been funny either way. But anyway, it, very well done, Jeff. Uh, and and you're right. You're right. That's that's exactly what you did. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, I agree mostly with uh, Devendra. I think this movie. This movie is much better than I thought it was going to be. It's not great. It's not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, reinventing the wheel. It, it, it really much is, is still the wheel. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, there's enough about it that is wholly unspectacular that it's hard for me to be like, rush out and go see Blue Beetle. I wish I could say that. Because there's also a lot of stuff in it that I do want people to see. Like, I do think deserves to be seen. Uh, and, you know, Devinder talked about hashtag family. I love, I love the ancillary characters in this, in mm-hmm. this movie. I love the, what all, in, in any other movie are the people that we only see in the first act and then at the, again at the very end of the movie. You know, these are the, 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 the people who are there to just be the reason to care for your main character actually participate in the movie. And I love that. I thought that was such a fun thing that for large sections of the movie, our main characters are the side characters. I think that's just a delightful thing and and really drives home this notion of 
hashtag family. And I think that sort of um, the way, uh, you know, Latino culture really embraces that, like, you know, having multiple generations in the home, I think is something this movie really um, values and shows the value of. Um, and, you know, we have uh, George Lopez just having a great time in this movie, like just having a blast. Like he, yeah. he, he is, has gives zero Fs in this movie and is just, he knows know, what he's doing. He is like, yeah. chewing scenery, yeah, baby, great. you know? And speaking of chewing scenery, Susan Sarandon is chewing some scenery. Um, unfortunately, I think Susan Sarandon and all of the antagonists in this movie are the weakest part of it. And I feel mm -hmm. like if you literally took this exact same movie and had an uh, antagonist who wasn't just a mustache twirling stereotype or, or you know, two-dimensional flimsy little character, then I think the movie would be elevated. I think if you had a really interesting villain instead of this bland, boring, pat villain who's just there to be evil, um, the movie would, would, would be something that I would say rush out and see. But that side of it, I think, is just really mm -hmm. underserved and, and, and frankly, just not very interesting. Yeah. Um, you compare this to a movie like Black Panther, which was what well, I think has like right. a distinct thesis in terms of what it's doing with the antagonist and the protagonist and how they relate to each other. It's trying to say something. I think this movie has a lot of great ideas on the protagonist side, but from the villain side. She, they're warmongers they're rich people you know like you could I, you could do they're they're gonna kick these people out of their house basically but there are specific things you can do that yeah. could relate them to to blue beetle and i kind of have whole family. no yeah. idea why she's doing any of the things she's doing yeah. i mean i like Money. there's a surface yeah. level yeah. explanation of like i'll get the super weapon but it's like there's no i don't the, the motivations mm -hmm. are just uh, because i'm evil and it's a bummer you know because i do think this movie fits in a in a kind with the first Shazam movie, like mm -hmm. yeah. that are really sort of superhero movies that are really open to younger audiences. And I think if if DC's niche could have been like if we just you know throw out the Snyderverse and have had these movies that are much more family friendly and about family and kind of like Shazam and this really feel like they could have carved out something interesting. Mm -hmm. And if you'd had other characters, you know, in that tone as well, I think it would have been cool. And this movie had an opportunity, I think to be something really special. And there's flashes of it. There's flashes of really fun, lighthearted stuff. I mean, I, I equate this blue beetle with more with Ant-Man than Iron Man, right? Ant-Man is a movie, the Marvel version of it is a movie about a, a, a sort of fish out of water superhero story where he doesn't quite know how to do everything right. And, you know, it's, it's greatest American hero, right? It's, it's um, you know, figuring it out as we go and making mistakes and goofing and having the suit doing things that he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and lots of comedy with side characters like that. I loved Ant-Man, the first one and the second one too, for that. And I think this movie has that. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't complete the picture with the, you know, with creating an interesting villain or interesting stakes or an interesting thing to do. The characters are all great. The, the, the family is all great. It just, it, it doesn't quite get there to be a home run, but it also doesn't deserve to be a complete flop. Like this movie, I think mm -hmm. a lot of kids would really dig it. And I think it, it, there's enough fun 
to make it a worthwhile viewing experience. Yeah, I think I'm pretty close to what you guys think about this. It is very solid, right down the middle, very reasonable superhero origin story. A very think, cromulent film. Cromulent <laughs> a perfectly cromulent film. You know, the thing that I think about sometimes, guys, is you guys all, we all watch WandaVision, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Wanda Maximoff drives a Buick in WandaVision. And I remember watching Wanda Maximoff drive a Buick and that really like taking, being kind of taken aback by that because it's very rare that we see Avengers doing normal human things. Like, yep. uh, you know, uh, we, we see, uh, what's his name? Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Um, Tony Stark. Tony Stark, you know, we see him like driving his Porsches and all this stuff and driving like really nice cars. And uh, we see Thor growing up on Asgard and needing to deal with all that. But like, it's very rare that we see normal human things happening in these superhero li- superheroes' no, lives. Unless you're um, talking about Spider-Man. But yes. I was yeah, going yeah. to get to that, but I would argue that the movies actually have done a really bad job of that. Um, mm. Specifically the Tom Holland movies. Like, because... Yeah for reasons that we've already discussed in past episodes, like Tony Stark has been a part of the picture the whole time. And so he's never, he's rarely been like a normal everyday neighborhood Spider-Man in those movies. Unfortunately, um, the closest thing is Ant-Man as you've already discussed, Jeff, you know, which is like, Hey, this is normal dude um, doing that stuff. And so that is somewhat refreshing to me that we see that in blue beetle where it's like, Hey, it's a, he's a normal guy. He's and, and the, the familial relationship I think is very charming. Um, but just the idea of like the guy has a family and um, familial commitments and obligations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is stuff that uh, I just generally don't see that often in these yeah. movies. Uh, it's and funny. I think he has a family. Also, they have to go everywhere with him. And this is basically is it reminds me of uh, with of my wife's family, basically, too. Like they, they show you a car, <laughs> right? They show you George Lopez's car. There's more people in that family <laughs> than fit in that car. Yet somehow. We will make it. <laughs> they work. all show we up. We will all we will all show up. We will all ride in that car. But yeah, that, that was I don't know if that was like an intentional joke, but that that car has six five seats at most. And there's like seven people going around there. Yeah. Uh but yeah, the the whole relationship that he has with his family, yeah. in my opinion, the best part of the movie, it kind of separates this movie from a a bunch of other similar movies. Uh and I think it's worth worth noting because I think uh Superhero movies could use more of this kind of stuff, in my opinion. Uh, so, anyway, that's just the only thing I wanted to say. Everything else you guys said is true. You know, it's pretty rote in terms of uh, yeah. the origin story components of it. The villain is not great, but also, hey, the villain in Iron Man wasn't great either. Like, again, y- imagine this movie coming out yeah. 12 years ago. Like, this would have been yeah. mind blowing at the time. But the now, villain in Iron Man, though, like the first villain is like his family, right? There, there is like a connection there pretty much right it was his uncle his trusted yeah. uncle and yada yada and then like capitalism is the thing there whereas here it's like you you could have a villain who hates immigrants you, you could have something like whereas this mm-hmm. one's like seriously susan strand just like doesn't care about any any life basically like everybody's you're, you're saying there's yada, no yada. broader thematic yes. weight to yes. the villain in this movie other than that they're just an evil person yeah, yeah and it I, seems I like agree. this corporation is trying to take this family's home away, but you only really see that in a sign in front of the house. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever really says it out loud. I found that kind of funny. Um, uh, one they, thing, uh, they, yeah. they talked about it a little bit at they the did. very beginning, but you're, you're, it's not a, it's not a huge part of the movie. Yeah, it, it didn't feel yeah. like very important. Um, I think the, the building of this world, it is, um, forget the name of the city here, but it is like 
they're trying to do something that looks kind of like Miami, but I believe this is set in Texas because uh, Blue Beetle is typically set in like El Paso, right? Um, so this is like a fictional U.S. city that doesn't, it just doesn't feel real because of the way they built it out. It looks a little too futuristic or something. Um, we don't know what's up with the beetle. What's up with the the thing, the aliens? Yeah. What's the background? What's going on here? It's well, it's just an alien that says it becomes a symbol. The yeah. se- sequels, baby. It's a franchise. Come yeah. on. The, the yeah. post credit sequence there's is like. Let's talk about it in spoilers. Oh, yeah. So let's get the spoilers. Um, there's no I mythology think... here is what I'm saying. Yeah, compared yeah, to yeah. like, I always go back to Richard Donner's Superman, which is all like mythos and the power of this character and the symbol. This one is, this movie opens with like, so you got another beetle for me? You know, is this the beetle? I want that beetle. Yes. There's no, there's no real, yeah. you know, broader mythology here. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Uh, let's get to spoilers for Blue Beetle starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm just going to say, I think it is a fairly unhinged decision (laughs) to have a movie called Blue Beetle. Uh Uh-huh. And then have as an integral part of the plot of Blue Beetle, the movie, that there was another character called Blue Beetle in the past that is barely explained in this movie. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's every super that's every superhero thing though. That it's canon- I mean, it's it's yeah. right out of Ant Man too, right? Um, yeah. Kurt, you know, uh, right. Michael Douglas was Ant Man before. That's fair. Um, but yeah, that's that's the. <laughs> yeah, the the cord family was the first. You know, it's. I, I kept I kept wondering like why they they needed to do it that way. I get I guess yeah, it's canonical. Because this but is also... not this is not the original Blue Beetle in the comics. Yeah, this is yeah. a newer version of Blue Beetle. That... But they could have they could have made this one the original if they wanted to. But the other thing is also then they wouldn't have had all that wild tech that they used at the end of the movie, right? Like yeah, you know they got all the 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 flying things and the weapons from the original cord, and so in order to do that stuff. Uh, they needed to have that character exist, but mm-hmm. I did think it was it was a little bit odd, and I don't. And was Ant Man like a well known thing? Was um Michael uh, was uh Michael Douglas's Ant Man like was that like a famous character in the world of Marvel in the movies? I don't remember, but Wait, you they mean, is he it. famous in that world? Yeah, no, I think he was he was like an, a you know he was hanging out with. Uh, Tony Stark's dad, and they were sort of the first version of right, the Avengers. Right. But but uh, the, the Avengers, the Avengers, the final Avengers are like world famous people, theoretically, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. like Michael Douglas's version of Ant Man was not necessarily world famous. No. Whereas it seems secret, like yeah. it seems like this version of Blue Beetle is someone that like everyone knows about, right? Or at least George I, Lopez knows about. I didn't him. really get that from this. I movie. didn't get oh, that okay. either. All right. Yeah. Well, George Lopez knew about him, right? And he was like, mm-hmm. "Whoa, your uncle was blue, or your dad was blue." Be- you know, he he like knew all about it. It's so. like they reference Superman, so like they reference the superheroes that we know of in the DC yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Although that that was all weird. One thing I want to say while while we're onto spoilers is like I wish Jaime was a more interesting character mm-hmm. because he is such a very basic. I'm home from college. What do you got for me? Problems. The family's <laughs> different. I gotta find a life. Like it's all. It is also basic where I feel like they're, they're, I think the actor did a great job of like giving he, some he's, life to Zolomar Duena is very like uh, yeah. charismatic dude. Like he's yeah. a yeah. perfectly solid performance. But I agree the character himself is not terribly interesting, right? 
not interesting and kind of dumb, I guess, too, or at least like uh, coming out of college and stuff. Like, I don't know. They just did not do much with this character. Um, he sees a girl and he's immediately running after her. Like, there, there was, mean, it's all so basic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that girl, I didn't, can't blame her for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, yeah. I, I, fair enough about the, the Blue Beetle mm-hmm. being a, a real thing. And, you know, but it was just kind of like, Oh, I thought I, you know, and when I was watching, I was like, oh, I thought like we, I thought we were watching the Blue Beetles origin story. I didn't know about the whole Ted Cord thing. Right. But yeah. Anyway, um, I gotta say, I thought some of the fight scenes were actually pretty solid. Specifically, there's this hallway fight scene between Blue Beetle and a bunch of henchmen that, you know, a lot of it's done in one shot. And I actually think they did a pretty good job with the visuals in this movie overall. Inventive use of powers. Like it looks, the action's clear. They're not cutting away too much. Like it's what I want. Yeah. yeah. I I think it's very, 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 very solid action overall. I just feel, I know, I know this is, this is canonical with Blue Beetle, but I just, I feel like we've seen the, uh, oh, would you like me to destroy all the bad guys for you? (laughs) Thing like, oh no, 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 don't do that. Uh, Oh, uh, Mm -hmm. rockets. Okay. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Th- that yeah. inter- interchange between yeah. the like the suit and the person, it's just so done. I wish yeah. they had come. I wish they could have figured out a way to make that feel fresh or do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. It just felt so tired to me. And, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, and I don't think you even need me to get started on the nanotech of it all, <laughs> which is just nonsense. Like there's a <laughs> the the thing at the end where he's got the, you know. Uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man broken mm-hmm. mask thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would there be a broken mask? It's just <laughs> nano shit, right? Just nano shit. Just nano how would you up. break that particular part if literally any part can be any other part? Like mm-hmm. the nano's just in his hands, Jeff. Only his hands have the flexible nano. I don't know. There, it's not true. It's not true at all. Nothing makes sense. Anyway, Nothing but so I, all that nanoe, like w- mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like. What can you make me? Well, anything you can imagine. I'm gonna imagine a sword. That's what I'm gonna imagine. It's a pretty big sword, though. I do, I do, I do like the sort of like it is. Um, they, I wish they had like led more into like this character just watched a lot of anime growing up or played Final yeah. Fantasy VII. I was like, mm-hmm. I want a Buster Sword. Is basically what they I mean. Made. I get. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The sword was cool, but if if you're saying you're under attack and I can make anything you can yes. imagine, I'm not making that. That's not what I'm making. You know what I'm saying? What are you, what are yeah. you making, Jeff? What I don't know. You, a tank? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. A giant bazooka? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. cool. Yeah. Railgun? Yeah. Yeah, railgun. That'd be nice. Railgun's good. Okay. Literally anything that doesn't require me to walk up to you. <laughs> yeah, this, this does not have the Terminator uh, 2, you know, limitations. Like, it can make guns. It's yeah. not just lines. Yes. It's yeah. not just knives and stabbing weapons, right? Right. It is, you can make an energy weapon. <laughs> Uh, of any kind, basically. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> give me give me one of those Oppenheimer nuclear bombs in this uh, in this mm, thing. That would be great. Like, I get it, I get it, I get that's this that's the the comic book, you know. But like, there's nothing less interesting to me than what's your superpower? Oh, I, anything I want, I can. Yeah, m- yeah. Make it. Imagine it. Oh, oh, cool, cool. cool Why cool, are you beetle? Cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, yeah. I have uh, legs behind my back. Yeah, <laughs> it's also a bummer that Ignacio Carapax, the henchman, mm-hmm. has a better or not better has a more interesting backstory than I would say better. I would than, say better uh, than the like actual, actual. I'm like, yeah. oh wow, drama, like wow, something. That, See yeah, that movie? Let's watch that movie. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. actually a heartbreaking backstory for you, <laughs> Carapax. I I feel yeah. a lot of sympathy for Carapax. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, look, Devendra, I know the whole college student coming back from home is very generic. I have to say it worked on me just because, yeah. uh, you know, as an immigrant, I've been in that situation. Yeah, Sim- yeah. Not the same, but like a very similar situation. This where- is why I'm saying he's being very dumb. But yes, <laughs> yes, because I have I have been through that situation, too. Yeah. Well, why is he being very why is he being very dumb then, in, in your opinion? It's just it's it feels like um, the thing where the family kept secrets from him, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, your father had a heart attack. We oh, yeah. You're, you're saying school. he's dumb because he doesn't know what's going on with his family. Right? He doesn't know what's going on with his family. He, and he also, hasn't like, picked up. He hasn't picked up the pieces and figured out or put yeah. together the pieces. He's kind of like a baby stumbling. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I have to I have to get a job. I have to <laughs> figure out my life. And it's like. If you're such a wonder boy, it does feel like you should have probably had some of this in mind or have a personality <laughs> rather than just be affected by the circumstances around you. Well, you know? canonically, Devendra, Blue Beetle is not the world's greatest detective. Okay, so <laughs> that's, know, true. I don't, that's, that's true. That's, that's Batman. That's, an, that's, that's another Batman. character in the DC universe. But I, I actually, you know, I, I think I'm probably the warmest out of all three of us on this movie, oddly. But I think the stuff where he's yeah. at home and he. You know, mm-hmm. he's dealing with his parents and their expectations. You know, it's like, oh, that's actually like, and again, rare to see in these kinds of movies. Yeah, like, the sister. Like, there's yeah. actually like yeah. f- emotional stakes with the family attached to this. Mm-hmm. Um, no, was, all the so, family yeah. stuff was great. I liked how, you know, you have that moment with uh, um, with um, uh, George Lopez where he says, you know, oh, I've been working on the, the, the perfect gadget. I was like, really? Also, his uncle is also, but also. then his gadget doesn't work and it, its only use is that he, he uses it as a bludgeoning weapon to bang the, you know, drive the car and flip it off the back. Well, it, it does like it did, uh, it did black it's out scram- the, the surveillance. It scrambled their surveillance yeah. things. He yeah. had to kick it for it, it to work. Yeah, yeah but I, I thought that that <laughs> yeah. was clever that it was, yeah. Yeah. it was a swerve. It wasn't that he's yeah. also, you know, Q or, 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 you know. I mean, he is though. He got all the alien tech working too. I so. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. then I don't like it. Then you convinced me not to like it, Demetra. <laughs> The other scene, there you the, go. The other scene I don't like, honestly, and maybe I'm just cold-hearted Dave Chen over here, but wow. um, I wow. thought it was completely redundant, unnecessary, and just kind of insultingly obvious to do the scene where he's he has a experience talking to his dead father. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we get all of the stuff that happens in that scene, we've already gotten. Yeah. Like yeah. it's so redundant. It's so on the nose. It's so it's it, it felt very um you don't trust me as an audience member mm-hmm. to put this together at all. But I thought the relationship between the father, I loved the father as a mm-hmm. character, his sort of relentless optimism. You know, you tend not to have that be the the father character in movies like this. And I just thought having a a, a dad who was just constantly like, it's, Hey, we're going to work through it. It's all okay. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. You know, I I loved that guy and him dying. I thought was a really interesting touch because clearly in movies like this, the Nana is the one that dies. Right. Yeah. And instead we have this and the Nana survives. I thought that was all very unconventional and cool, but then to like have the scene Mm-hmm. In the afterlife, or yeah. he, which it just felt so insulting of like, oh, mm-hmm. you, you really don't trust me enough to get anything out of the relationship they've already had, you know? It's, it, it feels weird too because the father died, and like we never, we never go back to that in a way. It, it never, it never feels like the family kind of resolves that loss, like go to that, the bedside or something. There's yeah, that yeah. wonderful moment where the Nana says, okay, now it's okay to cry. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. honestly, I got emotional be- be- yeah. because of that line yeah, where it's yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, I thought mm-hmm. there was such a beautiful 
thing of like, oh, we haven't been able to actually mourn because we've had bigger things to do. Yeah. And the matriarch of the family says, okay, now we can cry. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, what a beautiful moment. I did like that moment. I love the Nana. Nana is great because also talk to immigrant grandmas. <laughs> stories they have stories like to make it here and also like uh, depending on what country they left from i thought she was hilarious as a character um yeah good I, stuff I, you know jeff i didn't have as violently negative reaction as you to that part i think probably because i thought oh they're introducing some kind of um mm-hmm. afterlife in between land that they wanted to use for some future dc movie you know that's what i assume probably i mean black panther black panther did that and then they keep going back to that there's a whole freaking like visual design of this place that they're in like it's it's a whole new concept of a place so i'm like why you know they could have just had them in a white space like barbie did you know like it's it's like but yeah. they, they clearly designed this whole new thing. So I'm like, this must have, there must have been some other purpose for this was my guess. I don't know. Maybe not, mm-hmm. but. I hated it. Um, yeah. Sorry. I can, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I hated it. All right. Well, anyway. Um, any other thoughts, guys? Or shall we wrap it up? Uh, was there post-credits? Because I did, I yeah, did there not was, stay. I there, was a, there was a mid-credit scene mm-hmm. that's, uh, uh, that was like, uh, Ted Cord is alive. That's, yeah, that was yeah, the mid- he's yeah, out in space. We, we never resolved that. Yeah. He's out yeah, in space. He, he wants to meet. He, he has to get to his daughter. So. Now, J- again, James Gunn has said Blue Beetle is going to come back in uh, in the the DC universe. I'm guessing we're never going to hear from Ted Cord again. I'm just putting that out there. I don't think we're going to oh, yeah, get any follow. That's follow-up. not a thing. That's a, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd love him to be telling the truth, but I feel like this movie opening to what eight million, whatever it did, like that Blue Beetle is uh, 25, 25. 25. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. I, don't, I doubt it. Uh, and then there was a post credit scene uh, with more of the TV show that we saw earlier. And, you know, it's kind of a little bonus. Yeah, uh, goofy, of, fun, yeah, fun scene. Yeah, fun yeah. thing. Yeah. And that's it. That's so. I do think James Gunn, uh, speaking of B-movies, by the way, like master of early B-movies, I think early on, like, I think, hey, this movie sets up a character. It does a lot of legwork. You could do something with the idea of Blue Beetle or with the idea of these families. So I, it would be fun to see him like do something with this character and another thing eventually. Yeah. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, at the end of the day, it is impressive that Angel Manuel Soto made a movie. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast.gmail.com. Support the podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, the uh, This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Video assistance provided by Kurt Mega. Next week on the podcast, going to be Gran Turismo is the main movie that we're going to be reviewing. Uh, delayed. Right into video game movies. Right from right in, superheroes right in. into video game movies. No no pause. Devendra, it's I a saw, true life story, too. Yeah. I <laughs> saw a uh, headline this week that really made me think of you. It was... Uh-huh. Um, a uh, Guardian article from 2021, 2021. Uh, here's the headline from The Guardian. Neil Blomkamp says, it's possible Ridley Scott watched Chappie and was like, this guy can't do Alien. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Neil Blomkamp Amazing. said that. He's like, he's yeah. like maybe he watched, because he was originally, Neil Blomkamp yeah. has, was supposed to do a Chappie movie. I'm sorry, not Chappie. He's supposed to do an Alien movie, RoboCop movie, 
Um, yeah. And he was attached to like a bunch the of trouble stuff. The trouble is people saw his other movies. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. This is the, yeah. the, the violence that Chappie has wrought to Neil Blomkamp's oh, life. Okay. It cost him his, the Alien movie, you know? So <laughs> anyway, but we are going to find, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. If Neil Blomkamp still has some gas left in that tank, if he's still got some filmmaking chops, when we discuss Gran Turismo right here on the Filmcast next week. Until then, see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.